Isaiah chapter 12. I've already mentioned how thankful we are to have loved ones in our home during this holiday season. Our youngest granddaughter, little Morgie, is looking at some of our family pictures. And she saw a couple of pictures with her mama and her daddy and her older sister. And she wasn't in those pictures and she just couldn't understand that. And she said, why am not, why am I not in those pictures? Well, she hadn't been born yet. <laughs> so her grandma tried to explain that to her. Whether she grasped that or not, I don't know. But Morgan was predetermined by God himself to be a part of that family way before she was born. Matter of fact, before the star ever twinkled in the sky. Now, spiritually speaking, and we've been discussing this very truth in our studies in this 12th chapter of Isaiah, this is true for all of us. We, uh, we couldn't see the picture, the family portrait in our unregenerate state because we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were as blind as a bat. I might add, no, more blind than that. We, we couldn't see a thing spiritually. Couldn't hear a thing spiritually. We just needed that spiritual awakening that comes through the miracle of the new birth. And contrary to popular belief, it still stands true today, ye must be born again. Our Lord Jesus said, except ye be born again, you cannot see. That word means perceive. You cannot see the kingdom of God. Then he explained the new birth in a way that I don't know how anybody can misunderstand it. He said, marvel not that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. That's what the word listeth means in the King James Version. The wind blows where it listeth. You can hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell from whence it came, nor whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. So God moves where He pleases, when He pleases, upon whom He pleases. God always does as He pleases. David said that in the Psalms. Why should the heathen rage? Why would they say, where is now your God? Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. He is doing whatsoever He has pleased. And He will yet do whatever He has pleased. In our studies in Isaiah, we've been talking about how that day, In that day, verse 1 says, Thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise Thee, though Thou wast angry with me. Thine anger is turned away, and Thou comfortedest me. That day refers to the new birth, the day of God's love, the appointed time of love for us, when He scatters our darkness, delivers us from the power of darkness, translates us into the kingdom of His dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when God falls upon us when we're running from Him, hating Him, drinking iniquity like water, having no use for God. We don't want Him in our lives. By His sovereign love, He arrests us. Brings us under the preaching of His Gospel. And makes that gospel effectual as only He can. Giving us faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has accomplished for us. What He's doing in us and what He will yet do for us and in us 
no matter what day we live on this earth or for all eternity in glory. So we couldn't, we couldn't see the picture, the family portrait. I don't know if you've ever considered this. When a child is born, and our Lord Jesus, He assumed or He knows, He knows, He knows all things, that we would have a little understanding of the physical birth when He talked about the spiritual birth. You must be born again. And a baby, when it comes out of its mother's womb and cries, that baby is giving evidence of a life that's been there for nine months. When God delivers us from the dark womb of unbelief and we cry out for mercy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're giving evidence of life that's already there. We're not crying out in order to get life. No unregenerate person will ever do that. We don't want that life that comes from God. But the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We don't know when that happens. We don't know when that begins. That's God's work. Some children who grew up in Christian homes really cannot pinpoint the time when they were converted to Christ. Some of us can. Some of us can look back and remember that day when all of a sudden we saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ when we actually by faith embraced Him as our Lord and our Savior. But it's the Spirit that quickens. The flesh doesn't profit a thing. And if we don't have the Spirit of God in us, no man can call Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit. And so God must send the Spirit of His Son into our hearts before the, the Gospel will mean anything to us. In our unregenerate state, the Gospel is foolishness. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that the natural man, the carnal mind is enmity against God. That's a strong word. That's hateful. So Christ must come in us. God must send the Spirit of His Son into our hearts before we can understand and we couldn't see ourselves in the picture, so to speak, until we experienced the miracle of the new birth. In that day, we begin to praise God. There's no praise to God until He sends the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Joe is just singing about the wonders of God in creation. The lofty mountain top, the birds singing in the breeze, or the trees rather, and the, and the bubbling noise of the brook, and feeling the gentle breeze. You cannot worship God in nature in your unregenerate state. God accepts no worship and no praise from a spiritually dead man or woman. You cannot do it. I've heard people say, well, I'll just go out and I'll worship God in nature. No, you won't. The only way you're going to know about God is from His holy book under the preaching of His gospel. Amen. That's where you learn about Jesus Christ. That's where you learn about His perfect redeeming work for His people. That's where you learn about His resurrection from the dead and how He ascended to glory and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where we learn from the gospel being preached that goes in these ears right down to the new heart that God has given us. That's where we learn that we've been made to sit in heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. God alone can do that. And we give Him all the praise and all the glory. Now our text for this morning's message is verse 3. We've been going through the book of Isaiah in a verse-by-verse study. We're in the 12th chapter. We've covered the first two verses. Verse 3 of Isaiah says, Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. That second verse says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. And by the gift of God's faith to us, we understand and believe what verse 2 says. And the very first word of verse 3 says, Therefore, since we know that God's anger has been turned away from us through the finished work of Jesus Christ, since we know that God is our salvation, that He's our strength, that He's our song, behold, He has become my salvation. Since we know this by divine revelation, therefore, and when we see the word therefore in, in the Holy Scriptures, we need to find out what it's there for. It's there, the word therefore draws our attention to what we've already read, what we've already studied in the previous verses. Therefore, because God's anger has been turned away from me for Christ's sake, therefore, because God is my salvation, therefore, because the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song, therefore, because He also has become my salvation, therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. You won't do that until the other part is true in your life. Water represents the living water of the Word, the true Gospel. This is that Gospel that God uses to comfort us, to assure us, to revive our hearts, to soothe us and refresh us as we sojourn through this awful, terrible, sin-cursed world. It's a desert out there, folks. You won't find the Gospel being preached just anywhere. And sometimes as we are going through what God has ordained for us to go through, every path that the believer walks on is ordained by God. And sometimes that path leads us in troubled waters, I might say. Not troubled waters to God. He knows what He's doing. He's purposed it. But we can be affected by trials and testings. Our minds can be troubled. We can go through painful experiences. And we just need a steady diet of the Gospel, that living water, to soothe us during these difficult times. So water refers to the living water, our great triune God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are the wells of salvation. In Jeremiah 2.13, God our Father is called the fountain of living waters. In Song of Solomon 4.15, the Son of God is called a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters. In John 4.14, the Holy Spirit is called a well of water. So these wells of water that we're reading about, the wells of salvation, this refers to the great three in one. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. 
Faith is the spiritual bucket that every believer uses to draw water out of the wells of salvation. Without faith, you cannot do that. Therefore, only those who have received the gift of faith can be refreshed by the gospel of God's grace that comes from Him and gives Him all the glory. We don't have a bucket to draw with because our bucket of self-righteousness is full of vain, empty holes. Therefore, in our state of spiritual deadness, we had no faith. The gospel was foolishness to us. False religionists, those who make a profession of faith but do not possess Christ, no matter how dedicated they are to their foolish, false religious beliefs, they still hate Christ. They still hate His Gospel. Therefore, they cannot draw water out of the wells of salvation. Jesus Christ is every believer's joy. Our text says with joy we draw water out of the wells of salvation. Therefore, there's no real joy in the hearts of unregenerate people. They might go through the motions, jump up and down in churches, wave their hands in ecstatic motions, trying to draw attention to themselves and speak in gibberish, thinking they have the gift of tongues which went out when the apostles died. That gift is no longer with us today. I'm not saying God is not powerful enough to give somebody a different language if He wanted to do that. But the gift of tongues, as it was set forth in, as it is set forth in the Scriptures, that was for the unbeliever anyway. So these people who are going through all these foolish motions, jumping up on the backs of pews like Donnie Bell used to do, he's, he's mentioned that right from this pulpit. He's a good preacher now, but he was in a charismatic movement before, and he said, I know the difference. It's just a show. A religious show. And they're not drawing from the wells of salvation. They don't have any joy. They don't have a bucket. God our Father is the fountain of living water, and with joy we draw water from Him. We drop our bucket of faith into the well of our Father's electing love for His chosen people. Did you know the Bible says in love He predestinated us unto the adoption of sons? We can see the picture, the family portrait, until God quickened us and gave us a mind to believe His Gospel. But now, we read in the book of Revelation that God wrote our names in the Lamb's book of life before this world was ever created and it's with joy that we draw the waters of that precious part of the Gospel out of that well, that well of God's electing love for His people. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is a fountain of gardens and a well of living waters with joy. We drop our bucket of faith into the well of Christ's perfect redeeming love for His own chosen people, those who were given to Him by God the Father in the eternal covenant of grace before time began. We don't believe that Jesus tried to save us at Calvary. We believe He saved us. He's our Savior. That's what His name means. Jesus means Savior. He saved His people. That's why He came into this world. That's why the angel told Joseph to name Him Jesus for thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. And He has saved us at Calvary 2,000 years ago. He by Himself purged our sins. 
He didn't make us redeemable. He obtained, that's past tense, He obtained eternal redemption for us. So we drop the bucket of faith right down into that well of gospel truths concerning Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. And with joy, we draw that water, that living water that refreshes us, refreshes our soul, gives us the courage and and the ability by God's grace to stand and face the opposition without quivering with a desire to glorify our God and praying that those we have the opportunity to witness to might have their heart transplant as well so that they can draw water out of the wells of salvation with joy. God the Holy Spirit is called a well of water. With joy we drop our bucket of faith into the well of the sovereign sanctifying work of God the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that quickens. The flesh doesn't profit anything. Our Lord Jesus said that. It's the Holy Spirit, like I mentioned earlier, who brought us under the preaching of the Gospel. I don't know where you were before you heard the truth. But I know God's divine providence through the working of the Holy Spirit and the Scripture clearly teaches that He which hath begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So it's the Holy Spirit that begins the work and He's the one by His sovereign power who takes us away from any false religious churches that we may have been affiliated with. Or, in my case, I wasn't affiliated with anything other than my own arrogant self-centeredness. But the Lord, by His divine providence, brings us under the preaching of His Gospel. And He doesn't stop there. It doesn't just go in these ears. He gives us a new heart. That's not talking about the muscle that pumps the blood. That's talking about the new man. He creates a new man in us. And that new man with God-given faith embraces the truths of the Gospel. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to take the things of Christ and reveal them to His people. So, we rejoice with great joy in the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if we can't rejoice in electing love, we don't have true saving faith. If we can't rejoice in the perfect redeeming work of Christ our Savior without anything that we contributed whatsoever, we don't have true saving faith. And if we can't rejoice in the power, the sovereign, irresistible, drawing power of God, the Holy Spirit, without us adding one little fragment of not even our free will to His drawing power, we don't have true saving faith and we don't have true, a true bucket. We don't have a bucket that God gives His people, the bucket of faith, to drop into these wells of salvation to draw out that living water for the glory of our God and rejoice in those wonderful truths that God Himself has given to us under the preaching of His Gospel. Now let me take you over to John chapter 4. The fourth chapter of John. And I want to walk us through a passage of Scripture that I think just, just confirms what I have just brought before you from that third verse in Isaiah 12. John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. 
When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. His disciples did the baptizing, in other words. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now look at verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. Why is that worded that way? He could have gone another way. There was another way. But when it says he must needs go through Samaria, the reason for that, he has some of his elect people in that area, particularly the woman at the well, and then some others who would come to him, not only because of the testimony of that woman after she was quickened by the power of the Holy Spirit, but because they heard Christ Himself. But He must needs go through Samaria. Our Lord Jesus came to do the will of God the Father. Every step He took, every word He spoke, every thought He had, every deed He performed, whether it was considered a miracle or not, all of that was determined by God the Father in the eternal covenant of grace way back yonder before time began. So our Lord Jesus came to do His Father's will. This is the will of God the Father that the Lord Jesus go through Samaria because our Heavenly Father chose a people for His glory, and it's the appointed time of love for those people, and our Lord Jesus is going to speak to this woman at the well because it's the will of God that He do so. And that same thing holds true to each one of us. Our Lord Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice. He didn't say, I hope they'll hear. If they'll just give me a chance, just allow me the honor of speaking to them, they'll hear me. No, He did not say that. He said, My sheep, hear My voice. We must hear the voice of Jesus Christ. Hearing the voice of a preacher is important. But if that's all you hear, it won't do you one little bit of good. Nothing. We must hear His voice. And if we do, it's because God our Father ordained that we would hear the voice of Jesus Christ. Read on. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Did you know our Lord Jesus Got tired. He was a man. He grew weary. He thirsted. He hungered. He hurt. He was God in human flesh, but he was a man. And he grew weary. And he came to this well and he sat on it. And it was about the sixth hour. This is not by chance. This is the hour that this woman is going to come out and try to get her some water. She's a, a woman with a bad reputation and she would not come any earlier than this because she didn't want to talk with the other women of the city so she comes alone so we read in verse 7 there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water and Jesus saith unto her give me to drink 
And he's setting her up. He probably was thirsty, but he's setting her up. He knows what she's going to say before she even says it. And he's going to try her. So he says, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. So he's all alone with this woman. And that's exactly where God gets us when He's dealing with us. He gets us all alone. I don't care if you're sitting in a congregation of 3,000. When the Lord is dealing with you, it's just between you and Him. You're all alone. And He purposes it this way so that He has your attention. I remember when the Lord saved me. When He delivered me from darkness, the preacher was doing this. Every time I looked up, he was looking right at me doing this. I thought that woman sitting right there had gone to him privately and told him everything that I'd ever done. Because he was naming my sin just exactly like it was. That was God the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I was all alone. Just me and my God as he was dealing with me. Verse 9 says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it thou, that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She was a half-breed. She was half-Jew and half-Gentile. And the Jews hated those people. So what she said was true. So why are you asking me to help you get some water? The Jews don't have any dealings with us. And verse 19 Our Lord answered and said unto her, Oh, please hang on to every word in this verse. If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. If thou knewest. We have to know him. Like I said earlier, we won't cry out for mercy until He's already within our innermost being. And we won't know Him until we're told who He is. We read this in Romans chapter 10. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How are they going to call on Him whom they have not believed? How are they going to believe in Him whom they have not heard? How are they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to preach except they be sent? So, the Gospel must be preached. We must tell you who Jesus Christ is. He's Jehovah God. He's the Creator of everything. He's as much God as the Father, as much God as the Holy Spirit. Those three are one. There's only one glorious, majestic God. Three divine persons. Yes, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But one glorious God. And we need to be told who Jesus Christ is. Don't call Him the man upstairs. Although He is a glorified man in heaven. I don't like that term. He's our Lord. He's Lord of all. Very rarely will you read in the New Testament concerning the Lord Jesus, the name Jesus by itself. It's, it's, there's a couple, but mostly it's the Lord Jesus. He's called by His proper name. The, the name that glorifies Him, that gives Him this, uh, uh, aware, uh, gives us the awareness of His deity. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. And this woman didn't know Him. And he says, if thou knewest the gift of God, he's God's gift. We thank God for his unspeakable gift, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. And the faith to believe that is also a gift from God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And if if she had known who it was that said to her, Give me 
to drink, if she had known that He's God Almighty in human flesh, if she had known that He was the one who would redeem her when He went to Calvary, and just a little while after this, if she had known that His blood would cleanse every spot and stain that she ever ever had on her, not only the present or the past, but also the future, then she would have cried out to Him and asked of Him to give her that living water. So, this tells me that when she did cry out, she knew. And that's, just, that's the same thing that applies to us. If we don't know Him, if we don't know anything about salvation, if we don't know anything about our total depraved condition, how that we can't do anything in the flesh that's pleasing in the sight of God, then we won't ask. Read on. It says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence then hast thou that living water. She's still thinking of worldly things. She's still thinking about the water down in that well. She has not yet been enlightened about what the true and living water is. She says in verse 12, Art thou greater than our father Jacob? I guess he is. He's God Almighty, which gave us the well and drink thereof himself and the children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, shall ne- he shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And this is what he, he, he spake of the Holy Spirit. We read this in the 7th chapter of John. So it's the Holy Spirit that gives us this understanding. And if we drink any water, any false religious stagnant water, thinking we're saved because of something that we have done, we don't have the true and living water. We just have a a, a foolish, imaginary God that we've bowed down to and we think we're going to glory because we have done something to help God out. You think God needs any help? Jesus Christ is God's strong right arm. He's the power of God. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah said that after he'd been delivered out of the grave of that fish's belly. And that's when we say salvation is of the Lord. When we're delivered out of darkness. Read on. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now she's got... Her uh, senses aroused. She's a little interested. She wants some water where she won't ever have to come and draw and drink. I still think she's using carnal reasoning. Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. He just told her about herself, and she, she knows he's a stranger. So she says, in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. I guess so. He's the prophet that Moses spoke about. He knows everything, folks. Listen, he knows every word you're going to speak before you speak it. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything. This, this boggles my mind. We're not even to say that we're going to go into town and buy and sell unless we say, Lord willing. You know what that means? 
every person that goes into any city, whatever their intent, to buy, to sell, or just to browse around, just to look, they, not, they are not going to go into that city unless it's God's will. <laughs> I'm not just talking about rescue. This is not very big right here. I'm talking about Tokyo. I'm talking about San Francisco. I'm talking about New York. All these big cities. Every person that's going in and out of God has a sovereign control over every one of them. He knows everything. He knows what they're going to do before they're going to do it. And I'm going to drop a bomb in your lap. He knows when we're going to sin before we sin. And if you say you have no sin, you make God a liar. Because it isn't just what we do, it's what we are. From the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, we're nothing but sin. There's no soundness in any of us. Just full of putrefying sores. And our Lord knew everything about her and she said, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And this goes back to what I said a while ago. I, I was listening to the preacher and I thought he knew everything about me because my wife had told him. But no, no, he wasn't even preaching to me. He told me later, he said, I thought you was a Christian. I, I was preaching to Vanderpool. There's a guy in our congregation by the name of Vanderpool he'd been preaching to for years. And so he didn't know, but God knew. And God uses that. This is where the Holy Spirit begins His work. He reproves us of sin. He must convict us of sin. I've got to hurry. But anyway, this is God's work. And so when we find out that Jesus Christ knows everything about us and our hearts are convicted, and when we see our need of Christ, that's when we cry out for mercy. And so we read in verse 20 where this woman, even though she perceived that He was a prophet, she wants to argue religion. She said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Isn't that typical of a person who has not come completely out of darkness? I think she's probably being dealt with, but I don't think she has any understanding yet, so she wants to argue religion. I don't like to argue religion. I will not do that. I'll declare the truth, but I won't debate it. It's between you and God. And if you don't believe it, then... Just take it up with God on Judgment Day. But we better believe the truth. Look at the next verse. Jesus said unto her, verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. Now that applies to all false religions. They don't even know what they worship. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now listen to me. A Jew is not one outwardly. A Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is not of the flesh but of the heart. God must circumcise the heart. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And we won't do that until God gives us a new heart. And then when we come out of darkness into His marvelous light, we, we're part of spiritual Israel. He says, our Lord says in verse 23, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. And that doesn't mean God the Father is seeking throughout this world to try to find somebody who's worshiping Him in spirit and truth. Nobody's doing that until 
We're quickened by the Holy Spirit. And this is the Lord Jesus seeking out His lost sheep. And, the, and our Heavenly Father sent Him to do that. This was His will. He was seeking them while He was in this life. He's seeking them now through, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And our Father is seeking such to worship Him. Seeking those who are quickened by the Holy Spirit. Seeking those who have a new heart. Who give Him all the glory. Seeking those who worship Him in spirit and truth. In verse 24, our Lord says, God is a spirit, or God is spirit, and they that worship Him. It's just four letters, but it's the same word that we read at the start of this lesson. He must needs go through Samaria. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must, must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. So he revealed himself. He revealed himself, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit making it effectual. It was the Holy Spirit that gave her faith to believe. And this gospel that God has revealed to this little church body here in rescue rejoices in the fact that God our Father chose us in Christ, that God the Son redeemed us by His precious blood, and God the Holy Spirit has opened our blind eyes to see the truth. Now I want to show you one more verse. Go over to John chapter 7. No, John chapter 10. I'm sorry. John chapter 10. God has an elect people. And they're going to come to Christ. Our Lord Jesus is going to make sure that they come. He's the blessed surety of His people. God and God the Father in the eternal covenant of grace appointed our Savior to be surety for His people. He's going to make sure that we're with Him. In John 17, He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son that Thy Son may also glorify Thee. As Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. So He gives. He doesn't offer. He gives eternal life. We offer it. Preachers offer it. Come to Jesus. Come to Christ. Believe on Him. Thou shalt be saved. This is the only hope you have, folks. I'm not lying. This is what the Word of God says. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. Lay down your weapons of warfare. Quit holding on to false props. Both are going to fall into the ditch. Release everything and grab a hold of Jesus Christ and hold on to Him as if your very life depended upon it. But know assuredly that He has a hold on you and He'll never let you go. And He's going to bring all that He purchased with His own precious blood into this living union with Himself. Here in John chapter 10, we read, What's here? 
quote it. Somebody can tell me where it is. He says, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. Where is that? Verse 16. All right, I was looking in the wrong direction. Our Lord Jesus said, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I, and there's that word again, M-U-S-T, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So he has a sheep. We're not goats. We were never goats. We acted like goats. We ran with the goats. We sinned like the goats, but we were never goats. We were sheep that had gone astray. And these sheep were given to Jesus Christ by God the Father before time ever began. Our Lord refers to them in this, in this very chapter in, in verse 29, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And He says, I am my Father one. So He has a sheep. He purchased them with His blood. Now folks, listen, that's important. He purchased us. He bought us. We're not our own. He bought us with a price that just is amazing. His own blood. He suffered and bled and died to buy back. That's what the word redeemed means. He bought us back. We were always His. We were His in the covenant of grace when we were promised to Him by God the Father, but we fell in Adam. We go through this life sinning, but He purchased us. We're not our own. He bought us. And we're going to come. We're going to come and we'll delight in that living water. I leave you with this. Can you say, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Can you say, Therefore with joy, I do draw water out of the wells of salvation. Well, if you can say that, if you know that, if you believe what has been preached this morning, if you know God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world, that Jesus Christ purchased you with His own blood, that the Holy Spirit by His sovereign irresistible drawing power brought you out of darkness into this living union with Christ. If you can say that, and folks, God has paid you the same visit that He paid the woman at the well. He's come to you personally. And by God's grace, we will say this too. I will continue to draw water out of the wells of salvation using the means that God has ordained. A steady diet of the Gospel. Meeting with God's people on a regular basis to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. A reading of His Word. Prayer. And delighting in the fellowship of those who also with joy draw water out of the wells of salvation. These are the means. I don't know about you, but every time I hear the Gospel, I get saved all over again. Just joy in my heart. And we need a steady diet of that which God has ordained for us to use to draw this living water out of those wells of salvation. Do you see yourself 
in the family portrait. You can't until you're born again. But when you're born again, you see yourself in that number that God chose and redeemed and brings to Christ by His sovereign power. You'll rejoice every time you hear the gospel preached, drawing water out of the wells of salvation with unspeakable joy.